Uh, but I feel a word for today. Uh, and I realize that I'm preaching to a group of people that probably ate too much yesterday. More sugar than you needed in caffeine. And, and somehow, somehow today, somebody told me, they said, can you believe I went and got on the scales yesterday evening? And they said, when I got on the scales, I thought, why did you get on the scales? That didn't help anything. And uh, um, I hope you enjoyed your time with your family. Um, there's nothing like it, isn't there? And being with the people of God. John chapter 20 and verse 24. Uh, John 20 and 24. And I, I realize me talking about these people that you love puts a damper on your spirit because now you're burdened and concerned. And we're going to carry that to the Lord. And amen. If I was, boy, if I was sick, I'd want you praying for me. I know that. I, I really would. And uh, I look back and see Sister Liggett here with her sister Teresa and her niece, Michelle, we're so glad that her family's with her today. And we're praying with Brother Liggett, amen, has uh, made some medical decisions. And we're believing that God's going to strengthen him and be with him, Sister Liggett. We love Brother Dick Liggett. And can you say amen? Don't we love him? Amen. Somebody shout, God is good. John chapter 20 in verse 24 says, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus. Now, Thomas means twins. Didymus means twain or the same. Uh, he was not with them when Jesus came. That's one mistake I do not want to make. I don't want to be absent when Jesus comes. I want to be with the people of God. Verse 25 says, the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen, we have seen the Lord. I don't think they said, well, we've seen the Lord. I think they said, we've seen the Lord. Look at your neighbor and say, we've seen the Lord. Oh man, they're sharing with him what had happened. This is post-resurrection. Oh, the world is, people are grieving because Jesus was crucified. But then they saw the resurrected Savior and one of their disciples that was not there with the visitation said, we've seen him. Somebody shout, he's alive. Amen. It says, but when he, he said unto them, watch, watch Thomas, he said unto them, except I shall see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. That's where the spear would have been. He said, I will not believe. My lands, what a statement to make. He was saying, I've got to see it for myself or I won't believe it. And uh, I think sometimes we call him Doubting Thomas, but he's probably Normal Thomas. There's a part of that in all of us. Well, until I see it. I mean, no. Until I see it for myself. Well, this didn't hear to the Lord because verse 26 says, and after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. He walks into the room and never opens the door. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if you were Thomas and when he walks into the room this time, he comes and stands and says, peace be unto you. You imagine if you were Thomas who had said, except I believe it, I won't. Except I see it, I won't believe it. And then Jesus walks into the room and looks dead at you. Is it awkward right now? The preacher's looking right at you. Is it awkward? It's awkward. How many's ever, how many's ever been worshiping God and wasn't listening to the, and they said, everybody be seated? How many's ever done that? Then you came to yourself and you turn around and you're the only one standing. Anybody ever done that in church? 
Oh, my goodness. Oh, my lands. That's sort of how it feels. It's awkward. Preacher's looking right at you. Jesus walks in and he makes this statement. And he says this. He says, then he said to Thomas, raise your hand so they know who I'm talking to. I'm talking, come on, Thomas, raise your hand. Uh, it's awkward, isn't it? Oh, I pointed you out. He's going to go home and say, Mom, why did he do that to me at church today? Reach hither thy finger, he said. Behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. He knew exactly what he had said and how he had been thinking. He said, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said in him, my Lord and my God. He was saying, I do believe. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Many other signs, and many other signs, verse 30, truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Chapter 21, verse 24. We're going to read that and then we're going to be seated. Chapter 21, verse 24. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things. And we know that this testimony is true. Watch what he says. And there are also many other things which Jesus did. The which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the book. That should be written. Amen. He said, these were written that you might believe, but there's so many more things that he did that if everybody would write their story, the world couldn't contain all the books about him. How many feel that way today? That everybody has this story about what God has done for him. Can you say amen? I'd like to preach to you today, well, simply, this is my story. This is my story. You may be seated. The goal of this message on this post-Christmas day is to convince you that God is a personal, personable God. He's individualistic. The Bible says on the day of Pentecost that cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon what? Each of them. Growing up in church, I come to understand that we used to have something called testimony services. And that's where somebody would stand and testify about something that God had done for them. Many, many times it was very, very powerful when somebody would tell about what God had done in their life. I've come to understand that since he's a personable God, that means that every single one of us who are believers have a story about God in our life. What he's done for us. Can you say amen? And that's what is going on here is the disciples have shared with Thomas. They said, we've got to tell you something. Well, what is it? We've seen the Lord. We've seen him. You know what they are doing? They are testifying of an experience with their God. He was dead, but he's alive. Not only is he alive, he was in the room talking with us. And Thomas says it sort of this way. Well, I'm not going to believe it until I see it myself. 
And he's got a little, you know, he's got a little attitude with it as peers. But he said, until I see the nail prints in his hands and put my finger in it, I've got to touch it. Not only see it, but I've got to touch it. Till I thrust my hand in his side, will I not believe it? He has walked with the Lord. He has seen miracles. But when Jesus was crucified, it did something to him. It, it did something to him for the Lord to be taken away and crucified. It must have shook his faith in some level that he would say, until I see it. He had heard Jesus talk about it. Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it up again. He had talked about being taken away. He had talked about being crucified. But somewhere in him, he doubted Jesus being resurrected. And he said, until I see it and until I touch him, I will not believe. But eight days later, aren't you glad there was an eight day later moment in your life? Praise God. When the church when the believers were receiving their stories and their personal experiences, why? Because you were gone. You weren't in the room when you should have been in the room. You weren't at the gathering when you should have been in the gathering. You weren't at the church service when you should have heard the message that impacted people and they received the miracles in their life. But I'm so glad today that it wasn't just a one-time visit from Jesus, but there was an eight-day-later moment for Thomas. Somebody shout, he will come again. Amen. And I believe this time he didn't just come, Brother Nehemiah. He didn't just come in that room because the disciples were there. He came because Thomas was there. And he walks in without opening the door. If you were there waiting, talking with your brother and sisters, and all of a sudden the door is closed and you look and he just appears to the door, Are you with me? Door didn't open because he was in his resurrected glorified body. But he came on a mission. He came directly. Where you at, Thomas? He came right in there. And he walks right up to him and he says, and Thomas is going. Probably had to sit on his hands. And he said, peace be, peace be to you. It's okay. Go ahead. Didn't you say? Go ahead. There's the... Look. Put your hand in my side. Put your fingers in the nails, scars in my hands. And he fell to his knees and he declared a truth statement of faith. He said, my Lord and my God. He said, oh, blessed, blessed is this that, that you believe when you see, but it's more blessed to not see and yet believe because I know he's able. I know God, he's true to his word. And what he was saying was this, you were absent when they got their story, but now I'm present so you can have your own story. There are moments in unbelief. There are moments in circumstances, things that leave your life and leave you empty-handed that you sometimes say, where's God? Where is he? Why hasn't he done this for me? And it seems like you were absent when everybody else was getting their answer and you start questioning whether you're even valuable to God. But I come to preach to you today, you were absent and maybe missed it, but God's not done with you because of your absence. He's going to step right into your life and say, here I am. I'm about to give you your own story.
Go ahead and see it, but I want you to even touch it. I want you to have a relationship with me. How many believe that there's a God, a man that is personable enough to walk into your house, to walk into your life? Praise the name of the Lord. He's been good to me. I'm gonna share some stories that I feel led to share with you today. Certainly simple message, but I wanna give you what I feel God would like me to share. I am 43 years old and I'm blessed to have a heritage of Christianity. And this apostolic Pentecostal experience has been so amazing. My grandmother and my grandfather on my dad's side, Homer and Mabel Bounds, they had 12 children, 12 kids. And I thought four was a lot. And uh, 12 children, seven boys and five girls. And uh, they, were, they were pretty rotten, that's what they tell me, back in the coal mining country. And the oldest three was, was Matthew, Charles, and Martha. And while the oldest two, for a moment, was watching their baby sister, and, and my grandmother went down uh, probably to the company store, I would imagine, being in the coal mines, what they call the company store, while she's down there getting something to bring back. When she come back, the oldest two had burnt the house down. Sitting out in the lawn with baby sister Martha uh, out on the lawn with them. Oh, they didn't stop there. It was later they decided to derail a train, and they did. They derailed the train that was up Palton. And Jerry Clower, the comedian, he said, the farther you go up the holler, the holler you know what a holler is, right? You know, we, we <laughs> that's one way up in between the mountains and one way out. And uh, they, Jerry Clower said, the further you get up the holler, the meaner they get. And my grandmother was second to the last house up the holler. They have stories of growing up, there's no doubt, coal mining country. My grandfather was, started coal mining when he was 12. Both of my grandfathers did. My grandfather on my dad's side, my grandfather on my, on my mother's side, both started deep mining coal mines at age 12. It, and that was, that was the employment back then. And uh, my grandfather, Homer, was not saved, didn't believe. And, uh, but she was. She was faithful to the house of God and faithful in her prayer. One morning, about 6 a.m., the Lord woke up my grandmother and told her to pray for her husband, Homer. And uh, she got on her knees beside the bed and began to call in the name of the Lord because we believe that prayer works. She started praying, oh God, you know where Homer is. Now he's so deep down in the mind, you can't see your hand in front of your face unless you have that carbon light on your head, on your coal miner's hat, and he's down there, and uh, uh, she's praying for him. Later that day, when he walks into the room and with, uh, with the coal dust all over his face, my dad would come home from the coal mines, and he had, he, there was a layer of coal dust all over him. One time, my brother, who worked in the coal mines, came in. He'd worked, he hadn't slept in about 48 hours, had worked very long shifts, shift back 12 hours back to back to back, uh, and I'll never forget when my brother came home, he, he was so tired when he went to take off his boots, he just laid down on the floor at the front door of our house in West Virginia, and when my brother laid down, he fell asleep. When he got up, there was a silhouette of coal dust on the floor. My grandfather, later that day, he came home, and with the coal dust on him, she could see through the layer of coal dust, she could see the terror on his face. And she says to my grandfather, Homer, what's wrong? You're home early today. He said, you, you're not going to believe He said, this morning, he said, I was working in the mines. And he said, a voice spoke to me to look up. He said, when I looked up, that carbon light would have looked up. He said, when I looked up, 
He said, I could see the, 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 the top had cracked and the water began to drip. And what that means when the water is dripping from the top, that the mountain is about to give in and cave in. And he said, I screamed, run! He said, when I said that, he said, everybody run the right way except one man. He got scared and went the wrong way. And when he did, the mountain caved on him and killed him. Down in the deep, down in the mines. And she said, was it about six o'clock this morning? He said, it's exactly when it was. God had stirred a believer to pray for an unbeliever. Amen. It was some time later that he was in church and was stirred and he had black lung from the coal dust and some heart issues, but God had stirred his heart. He came to the church and a preacher who was led by the Lord because it's not just preaching. It should be sensitive to what God is doing because he's an individual God. He's personable. And uh, I'm sorry to point you out today. I'm not trying to embarrass you. But he comes down to an unbeliever. My grandfather had went to church that day and the prophet comes up to him. The evangelist walks up to him and he said, Homer, he said, I want you to go home tonight and I want you to put your Bible under the bed and I want you to repent. He said, this is what the Lord had me to tell you. He said, the Lord's going to visit you tonight. Out of respect for the man of God, he was not a praying man. He was just a scared man. Just one that decided to go to church. He goes home that night, puts his Bible under his bed, and he repents and asks the Lord to forgive him of the life he's lived and the sin in his life. The next morning, my dad at this stage, this, this point, was 16 years old, still at home. The next morning, my grandfather woke up the house praying vocally, and he was speaking in tongues and prophesying. And he was saying, my son, you're healed and you're sealed. Amen. God visited him during the night and filled him with his spirit, just like Acts chapter 2. And the heart condition he had was instantly healed. Amen. God healed him right in his bedroom. You know why? Because if you're absent from the house of God, we serve a God that will walk into the room of your own house and say, here's my hands. Here's my side. Here's, here's my life. I want you to have your own story. Praise God, praise God. That, that church, that church up the holla, that church in Pountain, West Virginia was so powerful. People would come, oh, we'd sing about heaven all the time. People talked about heaven all the time. Testimonies and stories, it was so powerful that, that there when they start singing, people were so grateful of their story and their miracles that people would respond and uh, they would respond. You know what I've learned is everybody has a story and everybody has their own song. I've learned that people praise him individually because they've had an individual miracle. Not everybody's gonna praise God the way I do. I was healed of crooked feet when I was born. 12 years old, I was healed when they said I would never be able to run again. God healed me again. So you know what? You might not jump up and down like me, but I shouldn't be able to do what I'm doing. That's how I praise him because it's my story. You got somebody on the other side might just stand and lift their hands and have warm tears running down their chin because they're grateful for the goodness of God. They might not be exuberant like me. You might not run the aisles like my wife every now and then that she'll get out of her seat and do this across the front of the church. But when that car, that car was in the accident, the guardrail came through that car at 70 miles an hour, came through the window and nearly cut her leg completely off. They were gonna amputate her leg because they said the perineal nerve was removed 
move, no science to put it together. She would drag that leg behind her for the rest of her life. But God healed her and she could walk today. It's a miracle. And so she praises God with that thanksgiving heart. Could I say, church is not a place to fulfill religious formality. It's a place to be thankful. It's a place to be grateful. It's a place to express yourself to him. For he's been good to me. He's been good to me. Somebody shout, he's been good to me. I sat yesterday reminiscing as I sat in the chair watching my kids individually open a gift here and share a story here and Jerry and Taloa, brother and sister talking to them, my mother-in-law and father-in-law. And I sat there and had tears running down my face thanking God for the goodness in my life. Thanking God for the blessings in my life. Amen. I'm so glad he walked into my house. Amen. And showed me a miracle. Said, Aaron, Aaron, here I am. I've got things I want to do for you. There's still more for you. I've got a story that you can have. I've got miracles that you can write in your own life. Right there in that journal. That's a book I've written. That's a book of the miracles that God has given my children right there. There's a miracle in that book. I take it on a plane, on, on a flight, you know, when you sit beside stuffy people, you know what I'm talking about. Especially early in the morning, nobody wants to talk at 6 a.m. Truth of the matter is, people really don't want to talk at 12. People just don't like talking no more. They're so busy, they don't have time for each other. So sometimes I'll try to spark up a conversation, and I can hear the snarl in their voice, like, don't talk to me. In those moments, I take time to write the journal. I write stories. I couldn't find this and left my computer one time. Never did find it. I was more grieved over this than I was the computer because that's the detailed stories of my kids that I've written down because I've learned if you don't write it down, you forget a lot of most of them. True. Every detail, every day that Jillian was in the hospital for 29 days is in that book. Reports, prophecies, People call and prayed or right there. And I told the staff, I said, I wish I could have a miracle. I cannot find it. I've searched my office thoroughly. And uh, one day I walked in and just pulled a picture back and there it was laying. I had already looked there. I know how I'd already looked there. And I went in, I said, I've got a praise report to give the staff today. We meet every, every Tuesday at noon at 11. I said, I found my journal. Of my kids, Sister Pam started crying. She said, I asked the Lord to let that journal show back up in your life. He said, you believe that? I sure do. I sure do. It's my story. It's my story. My grandfather, my grandfather, when he go to church and the Spirit of the Lord start moving, I mean, you know, I'm going to tell you what I told you the other night. Uh, you Buckeye fans are crazy. And... Uh, so don't knock me worshiping God when y'all act as crazy as you do when they score or win something, you know. But my grandfather, when, when the Lord would start moving, he would he'd skip like this across the church. You know, worship can be beautiful. It can get out of hand, but, but I think it should be graceful and beautiful. Amen. Can you say amen? And he would skip like this. Glory! 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 In the 70s, he would worship God in the church like that. and It was okay because... The Bible says, praise Him in a dance. Leap for joy. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout with a voice of triumph. Amen. Sing to the Lord a new song. All the things that we do are in the Bible. There, there was a film, Brother Scott, 
They had an old 35 millimeter film. Do y'all remember those? Y'all know what a DVD is? You know. Anybody know what a cassette tape is? Yeah, I mean, yeah something like uh, eight track. Amen. We are a multi generational church, that's for sure. Um, it's amazing that people want record players nowadays. Isn't it something? I mean, people are like, what do you want for Christmas? I want a record player. I'm like, you're 15. It's all digital. You can download it. You know, it's amazing how we go back. I said it the other day, isn't it? I'm rambling now. This is dangerous. I'm rambling. It's amazing. We went from, uh, what do they call it, Morse code and back to doing it again. It's called texting. I mean, two young people sat right beside each other. They won't even talk. They just text each other. This close. I'm like, 35 millimeter film. And it picked up something that was not seen with the naked eye. The Bible says when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit of the Lord descended upon him like a dove. And on that 35 millimeter film that they had in a lockbox for many years that later deteriorated, showed a dove come into the service and do like this. Little dove disappeared through the roof and come down. Every head it went over, they would throw their hands in the air as if prompted to because they could feel something in the room. My grandfather was skipping across the front of the church like this. Glory! And that dove is over his head just like that. You know why? It was a visible proof, a manifestation that God inhabits the praises of his people. We're not here for us. We're here for him. We've come to praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, if you had a prayer answered and something came and you've been seeking it and your heart becomes so warm, wouldn't it be terrible to go to church and not be able to express that to God? You start crying, people are like, what are you crying about? No, it shouldn't be that way. It ought to be a collaborative effort that says, he's been good to me. Look what God has done. I'm here to pray. I've come to church on Sunday to thank him for everything he's done Monday through Saturday. He's healed me. He's touched me. He's answered my prayer. Come on, it's all right to be exuberant. It's okay to express yourself because God has been good. Somebody shout, he's been good. Oh, praise God. My grandmother, my grandmother on my Mother's side, Bertha Johnson. I've often wondered if that name would come back in style. Bertha. Her husband's name, Ralph. We called him, I say we, he died before I was born, but family called him Papa Fish, and the oldest grandchild named my grandmother Mimi, so it stuck, as typically it does. Mimi, oh, Mimi's an amazing lady. Mimi, uh, uh, growing up the same community, uh, Comine community, she, she hadn't come to the fullness of truth yet, and there was more later revealed to her a man in church about a personal experience with God. But she had faith. And she got on her knees one time because the coal mines was on strike. And, and uh, she didn't know what she was going to do because they didn't have government helps and assistance the way they have now and uh, things. But she got on her knees. If you coal mines on strike, you didn't eat. You didn't have food. And uh, back in the hills. And she got on her knees and said, God, she said, the coal mines on strike. And I don't have any food to feed my babies. I'm asking you to provide for our family. The next day, Sister Tammy, she goes to her porch and opens the door and there's a bag of groceries on that porch with everything that she needed. I used to stay with her every Saturday in the last seven years of her life, she lived with me. And I'm gonna tell you, to the day she died, she would tell that story. And to the day she died, she never knew who put those groceries there except it was the Lord. Come on. Think it's an angel to Elijah and give him a meal that'll last 40 days. Don't you think he can take care of you? These were written that you might believe. 
but many more have been written. Amen. That the world could not contain the books of every story of what God has done for individual people. I'm glad to tell you, he cares about you. He cares about me. He really does. She liked to drink her coffee and I, I love it. I like any coffee lovers. My goodness. I never thought, it, I never thought the coffee thing would get a hold of me like it did her. She'd sit on that swing and she had, she liked it so much she had, she had a saucer she'd drink, put under it. You ever see that little coffee cup and a saucer under it? I think she put it under just in case one drop fell out, she could sip out of the saucer. That's what I think. She liked it so much. And, uh, oh yeah, and uh, we'd she'd tell stories. She'd tell me her story. I loved, I loved her. I loved her very much. And uh, Mimi, Mimi would tell stories. She said, another time a coal mine was going to strike. She had one child, her name's Sandy. Oh, Aunt Sandy. Aunt Sandy's just an amazing lady. My mom's oldest sister. And uh, it's quite a bit of years between she and my mother. There were seven children, and she's the oldest, and my mom's the youngest. And Aunt Sandy, I remember one time she was going to have surgery, and I, I cried because she giggled so much, I thought they were going to take her giggle box out. I'm just a little boy. She's from Ohio, by the way, and uh, up Canton area. I just loved Aunt Sandy. But when Aunt Sandy was just a baby, the coal mine was going to strike again, and there was no money. No way to get milk. My grandmother got on her knees and said, Lord, would you provide? I've got a baby that's hungry. I need, I need, I need milk. Next day, she opens the door and the milkman's standing there with the cartons or the containers of milk. He said, uh, Mrs. Johnson, here's the milk. She said, oh, I don't have any money. I didn't order. I didn't, no. she, he said, oh, no, no, it's already been paid for. Until the day that the coal mines went off a strike and my grandfather went back to work. There was milk there as often as she needed it consistently until. Sort of like, sort of like uh, um, 1 Kings 17, the meal and the flask of oil and the meal to make a, enough every day to provide until the drought was over. You see, there's stories in this book, but there's also stories in our book. What are you praying for? What are you asking God for? Maybe you're here today and you're a Simon Peter that you said, the Lord is, we see, we've seen the Lord. But maybe you're Thomas that you've had a bad few days. There's been a, a, some bad days. There's been a bad week. And you've questioned whether God knows where you're at. But could I tell you, the Lord wants to come right down into your house and say, here's my hands. Here's my side. What would you, I heard your concern. I've seen your prayer. I heard what you told the disciples. And listen, I still love you, Thomas. I know they're going to call you down in Thomas, but I come to you to give you your own story that you can walk out of here and say, the Lord came to the door. He never even opened it. He came to me. Somebody shout, he came to me. Somebody shout, he's personable. Oh, yes, he's personable. My, my, I had something happen a few years ago. I mean, several years ago now. I was at a, at a conference because it's one thing for the Lord to do something for you. It's another thing you to start hearing the voice of God and doing things for him. Stepping out on his word. Stepping out when he says for you to do something. It's a relationship thing with him. And I was at a general conference and they, they had a service about supporting missionaries like ones I talked about today. And... Uh, I asked the Lord, what would you have me to give? And I was in general conference in another state and I felt like the Lord gave me a number. And I knew that to give this, it would be a great sacrifice that I would have to do without. And I came home and, you know, when God speaks to you something like that, it's in, a, in the move of the Spirit 
God's compelling you to do something. But when the spirit lifts, you can go and you know, God call you on a fast. You're like, oh, I'm going to fast three days. You walk out of church and pass the 75 restaurants in Zanesville on the way home. You know, I think there's ketchup on that Arby sandwich they just made inside that drive-thru. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you can smell the pickles. God call you on a fast. He say, what was I thinking? Anybody ever been there? I don't think I've ever been on a fast like, you know, I can't wait to go on another fast. I just, this is amazing. No, you're starving. And the Lord had given me a number. I told my wife. My wife's always been amazing. I want to tell her that's something that God would have us to give. Most of the time, God speaks to us the exact same number, the way he did in our mission service a few weeks ago. Exactly what God told me to give a month. She came and she said, is this what you're feeling? I said, yeah, to the dollar. Exactly, exactly what God told me to do. And because we're one, two shall become one flesh. I'm thinking alike and um, hearing the voice of the Lord the same. And I come home and she knew what I'd committed. You know one of these numbers. You ever know one of these numbers? I'm walking around the yard trying to see what I'm going to sell to give to missions because I knew I couldn't afford it. But I'm going to sell. All right, I can, I can sell this, get this much out of it, I think, and... I can sell this. just want to be obedient to the Lord. And um, I knew he had spoken to me. During that time, I, I uh, certainly wasn't any money to buy any unnecessary thing. And uh, I went to Cabela's. Don't go to Cabela's if you can't buy anything. As a man, I don't know, ladies might be on there like, I don't know. I mean, who would want any of this camouflage? But for a guy, he has 12 outfits and he thinks he needs more and uh, come to hunting for everybody else don't go to Walmart there's a minimum hundred dollar charge if you walk through the door and you leave can I get a witness from somebody and uh, I I walked in there because I spent a time with Mason Christian on a Monday night and I walked up to uh, the counter and there's this gun that I own that's as big as I am, that when I shoot it, it brings pain to my life. And uh, one time I shot this deer. Steve, I shot this deer, and you know how I go to West Virginia. You've been down in those mountains with me fishing. And I was up on top of one of those ridges we've seen, and, and I shoot this deer, and I have to climb a cliff to get to it. Why am I going to West Virginia when there's Ohio to hunt? I don't know, but climbing cliffs to get to deer. And uh, I get up on that cliff, and I think I'm sweating. I wipe my brow. When I did, there's blood. The scope of the gun had created a paragraph of my story, you know. And uh, I am bleeding because the cannon had this 300 Ultra Mag. And, and I knew I'd become so nervous. I got a scar there and, and from this gun. That deer at close ranges, I think I would just do this number. And uh, I was missing them. And so my brother's like, you need to get something you're not scared of. I'm like, I, I hate to lose my man card over this, but I need something better, you know. And I took Mason with me and I said, you know, the perfect gun, I think, for me would be a 308 caliber. And I said, I can't get it now, but one of these days I'm going to get that. Maybe next year before next, next year. And uh, that was on a Monday. I just mentioned it. On Saturday, one of the men in the church walks up to me. He's not here today, but he walked up to me on a Saturday, that following Saturday, the same week. He, come up, he said, I was praying for you this morning. Here you are. 
it was, a, it was a, we'd come for the fall, fall bazaar. And he said, I was praying this morning, and the Lord spoke to me to give you something. He said, come, I've got it in the truck. I brought it with me. He pulls out a gun case. And he opens it up, and it's a brand new 308 rifle with a box of shells, brand new scope, and it's sighted in. And he said, the Lord spoke to me to give this to you. Now, that might not do anything for you. But for this country boy from West Virginia that likes to deer hunt, it was like, the Lord is good. Amen. The Lord, the Lord is good. See, it might not mean anything to you, but it was personable to me. Down to the exact caliber. And he said, oh, by the way, it's already sighted in with a box of shells. I'm going down the road sharing my testimony with my best buddy. And I was telling him about this. I said, man, I said, you know, I made a pledge and hadn't given more than, than I thought. I, you know, I knew I couldn't buy anything. And do you believe that God cares enough to give me a rifle? He said, well, my lands, he gave you a rifle. must be planning on you killing a deer. I'm like, amen. I get up on the top of the mountain, and I'm, I know I'm sharing stories with you today, but that's what I feel to do. I'm on the top of the mountain, and every year I go home because we need to revisit roots sometimes. And I get up on top of the mountain every year, too, with my brother, and I lift my hands, and I thank God, Thanksgiving week, I thank God for my family, for my health, for my children, and that I'm saved and have the most amazing life. I never dreamt life could be this amazing. And... And uh, somehow in the spirit of faith, I said, this year, I don't want to kill a six-point or an eight-point buck. This year, I like to kill a ten-point. <laughs> You're all laughing at me, but I'm telling you the exact truth how this unfolded. I go around the hill, and there's a ten-point buck, and he's mounted it on my wall in there, and it's a story that God is personable to you. My mother paid a sacrifice that's much greater than I did simply given an offering to help missionaries. My parents gave their life to plant four churches. And uh, Allison, it's your 26th birthday today. Who knows what's going to unfold in your life? But I watched the blessings of the Lord in my parents' life that they sold everything to start churches. And they did it again. They, Denver, they, at, at 50 years old, they pried the grandkids off their neck and when the grandkids were saying, please don't weave me, Papa. I don't want to see you on the computer. That's computer for all those that don't have the gift of interpretation of children. But uh, He said, well, we'll get to see you on the computer. They'd stay often at the house. And she said, I don't want to see you on the computer. Please don't weave me, oldest granddaughter. And he had to pry them off the neck to get in the truck that somebody gave to him, get in the car, go pull a cargo trailer that he had taken from selling his house and everything he owned to go out west to plant a church. And she went from luscious mountains and mountain streams and bluebirds and cardinals to go to a desert to plant a church where there's no birds and not much greenery and the air is very dry and you don't see. The only water around is a salt lake where there's not one living thing except parasites. And um, she'd been there for some time and she was longing for a little bit of home. She said, Lord, I haven't asked for much. She said, but I would love to hear a bird sing. Because West Virginia as well as here. Get up in the morning, you can hear the bird singing. The next morning at the time, she would normally go pray in the house. 
on the back deck, the next morning a bird landed. And till the day she moved, that bird sang to her every morning until she moved. Because God cares about the personal things in your life. How many believe that? I shared the story with Matthew Tuttle. I shared the story with Matthew Tuttle, but his parents were missionaries to Holland, and he said, you know, something similar happened to my mom. So she loved butterflies, and here she is in Holland, and they're not really prevalent there. But she prayed. She said, God, I'm all the way here in Holland. I'd love to see a butterfly. She went to the church that week, and guess what? When she went to the church, guess what's in the sanctuary? A butterfly was flying in the church. You can't tell me that God doesn't know where you're at. I said, he knows where you are at. There's a story that's unfolding. There's a story that's been written. And I come here today to ask you, what is it you need God to do? If he can send a bird to sing, give me a rifle, a butterfly fly, he can put milk, amen, for a mother in need, for her children, he can give groceries, if he can bring a healing to my grandfather, what is it gonna be written in your story of faith? I'm gonna tell you what it is. It's gonna be a God that says, here's my hands again, Thomas. Here's my side again, Thomas. Here's what I've got prepared for you. Let's stand our feet and clap our hands and thank God for his word. Hallelujah. What will be your story? What will be your story? For the call, it should not have been what your story has been. You've got a book like this that's absolutely amazing. I see your wife and your son-in-law and Ashley there beside you. But at 19 years old, you never dreamt that you could retire from the state or the city. Have you, have you retired like 10 times? I forget. Was it 10 or 11? Just one. I'm teasing him now. but Had a felony on his record. They said you can never get a job with the state or the city. Am I telling the truth? Because of the felony of what happened when he was 19. Somehow, God said, Randy, let me walk into your home. I know you were absent from the house of God when everybody else was being endowed with faith and you were somewhere else. Do you believe enough that these nail-scarred hands were for you? And that this scar on the side was for you? Because what I see is a loving wife, a daughter that's married to a preacher, three grandsons that love God, love church. And here you are again. Not only did you retire from that, but she was able to get a job again. Because when God comes, he comes with mercy in his hands, grace in his heart. He's an eighth day God that shows up. You were absent, but he said, I'm coming again. He doesn't come to us once with a Chris. Gail, he doesn't come to us once and said, you missed it, I'm done. No, 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 no. He comes back, and sometimes he comes back in better class this time. Just walks to the door. What do you want me to do for you? I'm not done with you. Look at there. Put your, put your hands. You see that? I heard every word when you were doubting. I come to here to remove all doubt. That's what he was saying. You're an atheist. You didn't believe. Raised in a Multiple. How many foster care homes had you been through? Five. Five. Mother accused of 
things in 25 years at least that what was she was accused of wasn't true. And home to home. All things you settle in your spirit was drugs and things that weren't right. Somehow, Thomas, you met a girl that walked away from the Lord. Whose dad had called to God and he walked away from the Lord. But while you were absent, his eye was not blind. And a lady by the name of Megan worked with you. And she said, Stephanie, will you go to church with me? Megan was your eighth day visitation. And you came and ran to the altar, gave your life back to God, was refilled with the Spirit. Went home, told your atheist husband, something happened to me. You came, you had a big old bar right there, if I remember right. You had two of them. Had addictive stuff in your blood. And we stood right there. We started talking. You talked about how God, I think he can deliver me. Now it's a call of God on his life. Because he's an eighth day visitation God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you, you were absent when everybody else was getting their story. I'm sorry you were never even invited to have your own story. That he's just like that to show up and say, here I am. And now you got your own story. And I'm in town sitting at a board meeting with some movers and shakers of this city. We were talking about people getting out of jail and living a better life and one of them was so moved, a leader in our city he said, he said I was at a meeting the other day and he said I was so inspired when I heard these stories of these men that were former drug addicts he said uh, it made me feel hope for people because these were written that you might believe He said, one of them's name was Noe. The other man's name was Gene. He said, the third name was Alex. All from the anchor. Who Jesus had walked in on the eighth day's second chance. He said, Alex, I know you didn't believe. But here's my hand. It's for you. Come on, Gene Teja. Come on, Noe Berrientos. Come on, Chuck Bell. All my life you have been faithful. (laughs) All my life you have been so, so good. I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God.